Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the USL show. Um, before we get too far into this, um, I want to send, we all want to send a lot of love to our friends out in Louisville. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of you a few seconds in are like, this is already one of those kind of podcasts, huh? We're not going to spend the whole time talking about this. We may not talk about it past this intro, but you know, we only have a voice in so many ways. There's only so many tweets that our fingers can type and we want the our voice to be out there as much as possible and to all the people that will inevitably dm us about quote-unquote keeping politics out of soccer shove it and block us um i say that politely it it needs to change crap needs to change there's no point in people dying over fits of anger and unhelped mental illness if it can so Send lots of love to our people out in Louisville City. You are in our hearts. And if there's anything we can do to help, please let us know. Moving on from that, is that a Ipswich shirt, Ryan? Yes, it's um, from the uh, Away Day City, their mystery shirt collection. I haven't gotten a mystery shirt in a while, but this was one of the ones that they had sent to me, which I thought was pretty neat. Nice. John, how are you, man? Yeah, doing well. Uh, I mean, not to linger on the point that you were making, but let's get some gun control in here. I mean, what happened in Louisville is tragic. It's the continuation of endless tragedies in this country. So we're in the politics now, but it's an important message to be out there. Absolutely. Um, look, there was a lot of soccer played over this last week between the U.S. Open Cup, between some matchups that between some of the best teams in their respective leagues, some really fun stuff that happened. You know, there's a lot to break down. So as we've been trying these new formats, if we don't talk about your team during the recap, because you said, well, that match was more, more fun to recap than the one you'll preview. We're going to, it's kind of a half preview, half uh, recap whenever we do our previews. So stick with us. Um, I want to go ahead and start off with our USL Tactics show this week. If you haven't been following us or John on Twitter and you missed it, um, do that. But hey, you come to a good place to hear it now. Uh, a Tampa Bay team that I've been very critical of, maybe, hey, maybe they figured it out. Hello and welcome into the USL Tactics show, where today I want to talk about how the Tampa Bay Rowdies moved from a 4-4-2 shape that ultimately had been leaving too much space in between the lines into a more successful 3-4-3. As you can see diagrammed here, the 4-4-2, especially in the high press, can really get spread out and leave room between the vertical areas of the pitch. What Tampa Bay did by changing up their shape is compress the forward line to deny that first pocket and instruct their center backs to get really aggressive in back to defend behind their central midfielders. And you're gonna see that latter point shown again and again here. That's Freddie Kleeman stepping up to apply pressure in the first clip. Across the board, you saw Aaron Guillen come narrow often. Jordan Doherty doing the same thing from the right side towards the center of the pitch. And the cumulative effect was that Miami simply could not find space between the lines in that really dangerous, quote unquote, zone 14 area right in front of the box where you optimally want to be finding your touches. You're seeing it there with Guillen cutting in 
forcing Miami to move out of the most dangerous areas and just never find that penetration. In the early weeks of the season, Tampa Bay had struggled to defend in these scenarios with Lewis Hilton's injuries, with some of the issues that the team had been having. They simply were giving up too much space right down the middle of the pitch. That changed against Miami, and Miami only caught three shots on target in this game, none of which came inside of the box. The Rowdies really put in a classic performance from a team that you would suspect to be one of the elite defensive sides in the USL time and time again. You'll cap it off with one more example here with Forrest Lasso, who came off as a sub, but it really put a nice icing on the cake for what was a shutdown performance as envisioned in the heat map where Miami did very little in the dangerous areas of the pitch. This is what you want to see if you're a Tampa Bay fan expecting a return to form. You know, every time I watch that, the cricket noises gets me every single time. Um, we will talk a lot about Tampa Bay um, and their match tomorrow and what they did well, the changes that were made, some possible, you know, communication going on in the back that maybe, you know, could have uh, fixed things for Tampa Bay and how it will go with Charleston. But let's go with the USL Championship match of the week, or at least the one everybody thought would be the match of the week. And I am talking about San Antonio versus Sacramento, right? And as we always see in these big time matchups, I mean, how many times have we, have we watched the premier league and it's like, oh man, man city and Liverpool or whomever, I grant this last time, it's not a great example, but it's like, they're going to play each other. It's going to be awesome. Match of the week, match of the day, match of the season. It's going to be incredible. No, no draw because both teams are a both equally trying to win it and also equally trying not to lose it. And it just ends up being exciting, but nothing, um, you know, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a little bit wrong here. Um, but as a, as a, someone who's not a San Antonio or Sacramento fan, maybe the most exciting thing was probably the most dangerous. And that's a fan coming onto the field to give a ref or a yellow card. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong about that aspect of it. it a crazy lapse of security, by the way, but like, <laughs> I'm not going to go too much into that. Um, this game was kind of marred by the fact that both teams were missing a handful of key players. Like for San Antonio, not having Mitchell Tainer is a huge deal. And Connor Maloney, because of who he is as a human, was able to comfortably slide into the center back position and look utterly perfect there myself um yeah right i think uh san antonio probably had the better of the chances that's not to say that sacramento was bad here uh, missing sebastian herrera as the real number nine in the team was a bigger deal than i probably anticipated uh, he's sort of that hold up striker who is just going to take up space draw players in and make the room that has made russell cicerone so dangerous this year for instance uh, and changing into a two-forward shape made them a little bit less effective against the back three for San Antonio. So you had a little bit of give and take going each way. I'm interested to see where these teams are next time they play in Sacramento, but uh, they safely feel like the top two. I mean, you can throw in San Diego maybe for a top three right now in that conference, no matter what. As something's and change. <laughs> yeah, and I would have the um, those teams are my clear two top two teams and the ELO ratings that I've run in San Diego is pretty close by just across the entire league, right? 
Now, uh, but like if you looked at these two teams when they played last season uh, in the regular season, those were both one nil games, each team winning uh, their one nil results at their respective home. And this was um, their first, or at least San Antonio's first nil nil result in the regular season in quite some time that it went all throughout last season without one. So, yeah, I think a kind of loose scoring affair is kind of in tune with what we've seen from this sort of matchup. And we have to wait until uh, June 24th for when they meet again in Sacramento, where these two teams will probably kind of have a better understanding of where they are and hopefully have a few more players back. Yeah, my thing with this match, right, and I I saw a little bit of the conversation, and I, I kind of... I try not to get too far into this rabbit hole because in the end, XG only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, right? It really doesn't matter, but it's one of those things that you can kind of tell a general uh, trend throughout the season. And I saw a little bit just on the San Antonio space whenever, oh, who is it? uh, Who is it that always comes out with the XG graphic at every single? It's it's, uh, by way of American Soccer Analysis. I don't remember the name of the account. Yeah. Yeah, um, I saw a lot of fans just being like, "Hey, hey, now San Antonio, super unlucky. Look at look at how much XG they have. They had, you know, they had over double, you know, three times the XG as as uh, Sacramento. Yeah, this was, was one point two to point six at the end of the day in favor of San Antonio. But if you watch the match, th- those it's all fluffed XG." Because they only had one shot on target in the box. The one shot outside the box that was on target was, it didn't really test the keeper that much, right? Everything else, they had a couple of point blank shots. I think a seventh minute, who was it? Uh, was it Batista, I think, that had like a point blank shot at the in like the seventh minute. But you know what? It was defended beautifully by Sacramento, where. It was pushed wide off target. Maybe it took a deflection. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I'm sure with that, you know, being where it was going off the foot that the XG stats just bumped way up, but it does not take into effect that Sacramento played it perfectly. And you say, well, Sacramento didn't create a lot, but no one creates a lot (laughs) against uh, San Antonio. It felt like a defensive masterclass either way, which in the end leads to pretty boring matches for the neutral. Yeah, I mean, agreed on all counts. I think neither team was going to sell out to go for three points here when it's so early in the season. Both have dealt with a little bit of ups and downs in terms of the roster. It's not worth it at this point. For sure. Especially with a lot of the season left. And you're looking at a San Antonio team who is going to be playing their pretty much USL championship uh, rematch in Louisville this week. And just kind of more looking at it uh, kind of in a larger picture sort of deal. Absolutely. Um, But when we want to look on, we'll talk about matchups of the week. Um, even though it ended in a draw, I don't know if there were many more matches that were more exciting than this North Carolina versus Charles or Charleston, uh oh, Chattanooga Independence match, right? I mean, it it gave you yes, it was game flow. Thank you. Uh Ryan even put it in our private chat. That was that's the one. Um you know, this was a match that <laughs> it was hairy for a little bit. Um, eventual red card, a couple attempted massacres. There was a 
definitely shout for a penalty at the very end of the match for Jaden Cervania, who appeared to be dragged down and no call was called. Um, it was one heck of a match in carry where I think a lot of Charlotte fans feel a little hard done to not come away with, you know, all three points when you look at just kind of the chances they were given. But if you're North Carolina, you're looking at a match where you didn't play amazing and you have a legitimate penalty shout um, at the very end of the match. You're looking at that and saying, well, we were a little hard done by here. And all it's doing is setting up a fantastic, uh, you know, second edition of the Dogwood Derby. No, I mean, this was a really exciting game. Both teams probably amongst the more offensively minded in League One. Uh, certainly, I liked a lot of what I saw from Charlotte. I, that Dane Kelly goal was as classic as you can get with him, like getting the subtlest little touch to kind of deflect a ball into the net. I probably think that North Carolina was the better team here. I think they were a little bit more fluid, did a, be did a better job of getting in between the lines at that 4-4-2 for uh, the independence. I'm kind of curious about the fact that Garrett McLaughlin is being almost eased back into the team. And that's something that you, it's a luxury you can afford when you're as deep as North Carolina is in attack, but he is such a good forward. And I think he had a real impact when he came in later in the match. So just a couple straight yeah. thoughts there. Yeah. He also almost had the game winner at the very end yeah. that uh pack made a wonderful save on. Yeah, and it's interesting looking at uh, Charlotte having started in the year unbeaten as they have um, a little time off towards their next game. They don't play again until Wednesday the 19th against Omaha, and then they have uh, Fuego coming into town. That This has been a kind of, uh, I think through the preseason, they may have flown a little bit under the radar because North Carolina really got the preseason hype this year as everyone's focused, but Charlotte has really put together an impressive kind of start to the year or as everyone else in the league has either just not played enough games yet or just has a more slower start to the season. And with that first goal that uh, North Carolina had, I, I think they were a little fortunate here because I think it's uh, Joe, I think it's uh, Joel Johnson. He is tracking back and this ball and Anderson, who eventually gets the goal, he is he has so much space on the left side that it's painful. There was so much space on that side and maybe he thinks uh that there's he's going to be offside but I don't I don't think he is. They hold it up, they go out right and then I think it's Jane Cervania takes a shot and takes a just a unfortunate deflection and good finish, but again, one of those things that I a little fortunate with the goal because I think the goal would have been a lot easier if they just played that the first time, which has kind of plagued North Carolina this year where they had this super attacking system and they're just not as free flowing as like Charlotte is right. And it helps that a lot of the Charlotte team has played together, whether it was last year or, you know, three years ago and all coming back for their homecoming this team has played a lot together, and you can tell where that continuity comes, even under a different system. I, I think that once North Carolina finally gets that, you know, really gets that chemistry underneath themselves and start playing together well, they're going to be ridiculous. 
Yeah, and NCFC, I mean, they're second in USO1 in shots right now on 39 with Charlotte ahead of them on 58. So they're creating enough shots that eventually they're going to make things work. But like you had mentioned, Kayler, it's just really just going to take time. Moving on to our next match, um, if I can find it. Um, and it is another League One matchup of Red Wolves versus One Knox, where I have broken my own rule. I said I was never going to lock a League One team because it doesn't make sense. It never makes sense. And what did I do? I locked a League One team. Um, Chattanooga uh, admin and I talked before the Legion uh, Red Wolves Open Cup match, and he commented on the fact that I locked um, uh, one Knox to win the match. Um I, I like to think that he printed this on the board and was just like, was like, hey, this idiot thinks you're going to lose. Um, and for a while, I thought I was going to be right. And finally, Chattanooga started playing kind of how we thought they would. There was good, the shouts for Ziggy to be out. <laughs> We're getting loud. And it's early in the season. But one thing that's so frustrating with this team is that they get the possession. They want the possession. They do the whole thing and they have talented players and they get up to the top of the box and it becomes just this swing across, swing across, swing across. They don't drive into the box. They are looking for channels to shoot on side of the box, but never taking that chance of stepping into the box and shooting. They would rather look for the window, take the step then and go. And I think that's where a lot of, uh, issues came with the fans where it just felt like they were holding on to possession because they're a possession based team and it was pointless possession or i usually just call it lateral possession you're not going forward you're not going backward you're doing nothing and in this match at the very end after going down uh one nil you know chattanooga started just going forward and it was really nice to see that they just decide just to say you know what we don't have to stay outside the box anymore. <laughs> we don't need to do that. You know, three of their shots happening inside the goal or inside the box. And, you know, the one goal that eventually goes in that's end up being the game winner is outside the box, obviously. But still, it, you finally saw the progression come in for this team. No, I mean, it's what you mentioned stylistically where, uh, that goal from Varela was about as route one as you can possibly imagine, where they just decided, listen, we need the goal. We don't care about the style that it's going to take to get there. I do want to throw in a good word for the performance that one Knox put in. Uh, I thought, especially second half, they brought in Andreasen. I'm mispronouncing the last name because I'm baffled by Scandinavia. But he's like <laughs> 6'5", but really nimble, really good moving with his feet. I thought he was a big deal coming on. Uh, making a real difference for them. I thought that they got some good contributions from the wingback spots. Chrysler uh, was good in the back line as well. This is a team that feels like they're going to be in the mix. That said, it's a pretty tough result for them to drop this one. But hey, I mean, Red Wolves, credit to them, made the changes they needed to do to really get the three points here. Yeah, if you're one Knox, you had uh, 1.48 in XG from the last game, most of that coming from Ilya Illich's, uh penalty, of course, but it's still at least an encouraging offensive display, even though that Chattanooga came back and picked up the uh, two goals to go ahead and take all three points in this one. 
And I think it's just going to be one for one Knox and especially for Lexington that just being a new expansion team in league one, there's still going to be some growing pains, especially going up against these teams that, as we had mentioned, have played together and kind of has that cohesion. And I think just more so that they just a further commitment to what they're still doing that, uh, like we had mentioned, one Knox will be in the mix here. It's just a matter of just kind of figuring things out. Absolutely. Yeah, this is a it's just a team that uh, it's a team that really with Red Wolves, they were poached with their talent and they what they really impressed me with is the fact that out of whenever a team makes a mistake, I'm about to say the stupidest thing I think I might have ever said on the show. And I'm just going to say this and it's going to be so basic. It hurts. Red Wolves can't beat you if you don't make a mistake. And that's like, duh, don't make mistakes, you win. But the thing is, it's like one small touch that's a little too heavy. They press you so hard and start the counterattack like that. If you keep to these short passes and keep it between yourself, Red Wolves don't have a lot to go because they don't force mistakes. They just capitalize upon them. So if you can minimize your unforced errors, they're not going to force you to make them. And I think going forward, Red Wolves are going to be a team that when they start facing teams like, well, I mean, Madison, your Chattanooga, or not Chattanooga, wow, um, your Greenvilles, you know, so on so forth, you know, you're going to see them struggle a lot more. And, you know, this very young, um, you know, one Knox team that hasn't played together a lot, that's what you'll see. I do think this result was important for Red Wolves just from a sake of confidence. I mean, this was their final home match of this three-game opening stand. And having not gotten a win in their first two, they really needed to get a result here as they have to travel to North Carolina this week. And then you have Lexington, the rematch against Tormenta uh, the week or the um, following week. And it's just, it's really challenging to kind of start the year without that win and to basically go into this next North Carolina game, which actually is the 21st next week is just key. Yeah. Well, moving on, let's go ahead and go back to the championship, but we're not going to be done with league one. We have stuff to predict later today, but I want to go to one of the better matches of the weekend, despite my beating hearts. Um, Phoenix go into the Magic City and ruin the unbeaten season for Legion. Phoenix, a team that came in, I think, still winless, but there is a massive asterisk there that they played San Diego twice and Charleston once, um, two of those away. Um, Does that really count? Yes, and also no. And Phoenix came out and really took it to Legion at the very beginning. They, you know, they they were a little afraid of the press that happened to them. But once the legs got a little tired for the three sparks, they were able to show what they were really good at. And that is, you know, creating havoc in the midfield, bombing it up, and kind of saying, screw it, Trejo down there somewhere. And Harvey. Harvey was ridiculous in this match as well. Harvey is an interesting one for me. I mean, I think coming into this year, everyone 
who even knew who he was associated him with being that guy who got a bunch of red cards for LA Galaxy 2. <laughs> and he looked so good in this game. I mean, dropping between the center backs, getting up the pitch, pitching him defensively. He really did it all. Uh, you mentioned it with Trejo coming on in the second half. I think Phoenix kind of lacked for that creative presence in the final third, someone who could pick up possession and do something with it beyond Harvey. Uh, and just having someone like a Danny Trejo to get beyond the press, which I think Birmingham lightened up in as well as the game wore on. So there was this confluence of factors that gave Rising a little bit of an edge. But I really think that Phoenix has acquitted themselves well in what's been, as you've mentioned, a pretty brutal schedule to start the beginning of the season. So as they get into a little bit easier pickings, I think they're going to really start racking up some points. Yeah, and uh, like from the first half from this one, Phoenix really just had the uh, three shots to start. And just when they got those two in the second half, even with uh, Birmingham immediately answering after that first goal to kind of come back and get all three points from this one, it's just a really crucial result for Phoenix. And as John, as you had mentioned, it, uh, it will slowly start to get easier. And uh, I mean, they have Monterey Bay and San Antonio as their next two games. So just to at least start getting some of these points on the board is just great for just the encouragement of the team. Right now, Legion, and I, I can talk obviously about this all day long. So, you know, whenever we need to move on, I'm going to try to keep it as short and simple as possible. But Legion have a real thing that they need to figure out. Do they want to score goals or do they want to have a balanced defense? Because Gabriel Alves is a wonderful scoring fullback at this point who is basically playing center mid half the time and occasionally likes to cameo as a fullback. But the thing is, is that Phoenix were, were attacking that defensive right side pretty heavily throughout the game. And while Alvis was able to out-athlete, you know, whoever he was going against when it came to the aerial ball, whenever things were going wrong, typically you could look at that right side and say Alvis was kind of the crux of that. But you also look at that and say, hey, dude scored twice now. <laughs> you know, do you want to score goals or do you want to prevent them? And Legion have a really interesting issue where they have to make a choice. And for Birmingham fans, you're like, dang it, score goals. We've never done that before. But also, do you give up a little bit of what you're built off of, which is a stifling defense. It's an interesting thing going on down in Birmingham. Yeah, and I mean, just to speak to what you were saying, there was that first half where it was Emil Cuello on the uh, right side for Phoenix. He wasn't also, doing much. Yeah, go ahead. Is it, is it Cuello or Cuello? I have he I heard Cuello in the past, and then the announcing team was hard on the Cuello this time around. Because if he's Argentinian, know. if he's Argentinian, the double L is a sh, right? Okay. If you all say, right. Yeah, you know better than I do. I'm just going off of yeah, sure. guesses with the, all of these names. Anyway. But, anyway, go <laughs> but ahead. yeah, like, he's just, yeah, I mean, he was the guy on the right side for Phoenix going up against Alves. He's just not that dynamic in comparison to Danny Trejo, who comes on and changes the game by really. Uh, changing the balance of power on that side. And it completely speaks to what you're talking about there. Yeah. And even to compare it to last season, you talk about just kind of uh, lesion and scoring goals, but they haven't uh, gotten shut out in a match since the 20th game of last season when they played Tulsa. And through the first five games of that year, they had 
uh, one win in those first five, and now through these first five, they have just one defeat. And if you look at their upcoming schedule of Loudoun, Orange County, Hartford, and uh, the Miami, that's all four pretty favorable games for Birmingham to continue just a, after a little uh, dent in their form to kind of get back to uh, their former winning ways. Do you think do you think there's anybody if Phoenix's admin is listening to this because typically you actually do more than you don't which is impressive thank you for tuning in was there any want to be like on Easter Sunday to be like Phoenix is rising they're rising indeed like was there any want to do that cuz i need to know <laughs> This is terrible <laughs> I mean Gabriel Jesus scored for Arsenal on that day. And I had to mention into a group chat. I was like, we're all thinking it. No one say it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. All right. Before we lose any more, (laughs) any more people listening, let's go ahead and move on to the most shocking result of the weekend. But also if you've been following, not incredibly shocking, but also super shocking, um, Indy loses three nil to Oakland. And if you're sitting there and saying, but, but, but that Indy firepower, we, they, they score goals. Um, listen, John, you just released your, you know, kind of updates, I guess, to some of the best keepers in the league. And I always screw his name up, but Blanchette, he's a stud. He is so good, and he is super under the radar because a guy named Jordan Farr exists, and people forget. Um, He's ridiculously good, and while you could say he was the reason, he was probably one of the sole reasons of keeping a clean sheet, the three goals against Indy's defense, wow, was not expecting that. It's been a really odd year for Indy where – I mean, they had only given up one goal coming into this game. Um, They've just struggled to create in a way that has been able to earn them points consistently. You say what you will. I think Sebastian Guanzotti, and he showed it for a lot of last year, isn't the player that he once was. I think Solomon Asante is really miscast as the guy at the top of the diamond. He just doesn't have that ability to break teams down in settled possession that you need. Uh, for Oakland, you certainly mentioned it. Paul Blanchett is the most underrated Blanchette. goalkeeper that there is. Not, yeah. Together, we can combine to pronounce every name correctly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what, I mean, they really took advantage of everything Indy gave them. The first goal was a pretty ponderous long ball over the top that Yannick Odell, Indy's goalkeeper, horrendously misplayed. I mean, he was 10 yards out of his box trying to clear it. Indy kind of pushed from there. There was a sloppy back pass that led to the second goal. So it was a comedy of errors for the 11. But if they're not going to score goals, they have to play error-free soccer. And that's just not a possibility. No team is going to be perfect 90 minutes every single week. I don't know what the solution is for the 11 right now, but something is going to have to give. And you can point to the names. I know that some people said, listen, these guys would have been great in 2018, but what are they in 2023? And I think that's maybe starting to bear fruit as much as I didn't think it would be the case in the preseason. 
And just looking from a historical standpoint, this is Oakland's, I think, their best ever result that they've ever had in club history at uh, away from home and Indy 11 since they've joined USL, their worst ever home defeat. And uh, just like looking ahead, I mean, you have Indy 11 going to Orange County uh, this week and you have Monterey Bay and Pittsburgh coming to Indianapolis in the following two games, but it's really something that they have to kind of figure out, like you'd mentioned, John, because they still haven't scored a, ma- a goal since they beat uh, Detroit in March. Yeah, the the thing with Indy, and I is kind of going to the crux of what you're saying, John, is that they bring in this all star cast, right? We bring in the Lowry hits, you know, the best of Lowry, essentially. Um, but the thing is, is that when players get older, when they mature, not even just get older and lose a step, when players mature just themselves, their IQ changes and the way they see the game changes. So maybe Asante, you know, if you look at him several years ago and you look at what he did then, dude was so flexible and just more athletic than every other human that he could have fit in that spot because he was just that guy. And I fear that Lowry looked at what he had and became nostalgic of what he had and not really looking at what he currently has. And I, this is early in the season. It is what it is, but this idea of going back to the greatest hits, it's not working right now. I think the funny thing with the roster decisions they made was focusing on an Asante who, when he was at his best in Phoenix, was this right winger who would cheat out in transition, use his pace in the maximum amount of space to create trouble. When they brought in Douglas Martinez, I think after one week of this season, yeah, he's a striker ostensibly, but he showed in Sacramento last year that he really likes to be drifting out to the wing, doing that sort of thing, not being the guy in the box. Lowry isn't recruiting and prioritizing the pieces that actually fit his system, but he's still so doctrinaire about running that same system without the proper players in place. I think that's what's so confusing with the 11, because arguably the midfield and defense are completely fine. They've been fine-tuned and looking good. But when you don't have that linking player and you don't have the forwards, it's really going to cripple what he's trying to do, just given how possessive this team is and how much time they spend in the opposing half without the people to break a team down. And I guess the concern that you would have for Indy 11 moving forward is that you don't let uh, kind of a two-game blip like this kind of snowball because they had an instance last season where they went five consecutive games without scoring a goal and to really just not let the form kind of trail off here because they, as it stands, I know that it's still very early in the season. They are six in the Eastern Conference right now. and You have three teams right now below them who don't currently have a win. And, and if – it just needs to be eighth place to get into the playoffs. It, I mean, the bar is not as high as it's been in years past to just play a, that additional game for postseason football. I'm, I'm going to go to a question that's in chat, and it says, what player is going to step up and adjust? And I'm going to throw it back at, you know, this is not being like, you're stupid. It was a question I was going to ask anyway. 
right? At what point is Lowry going to adjust? He has this system. He has his system. His, I mean, at this point, the diamond system that he's run is patented. He can take it to court if anybody else tries to use it, right? What he does is what he does. But we're also kind of seeing him be a slave to it. And there were a few times last year where they got away from it just a little bit, but then immediately went back to it. And that wasn't really to get back on track. It was just because it was just a team they were going against. They changed it just a little bit. At what point do you become a slave to your system? Because if, again, if we want to go to Premier League, because most people who watch this also watch Premier League, right? You know, you have the team that everybody was like, oh, they're so bad. They're so bad. They really weren't that bad. Uh, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, right? He stuck with his high-pressing system. He stuck with having Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know, suffering and being a liability at fullback. This entire time never changed anything, right? And eventually they seem to have kind of gotten out of it, and they're back to doing their thing. Maybe not the level they want, but they're back to doing their thing. On the flip side, you have a Graham Potter who goes to Chelsea, right, who has a system from Brighton, wants to bring it over from Brighton, and suddenly it's not working, and he gets away from it too fast, and now they have no system, and now he's without a job. Right. At what point do you decide it's been long enough? This is not working. And when do you say we need to stick with this because eventually it will work? And just to, I mean, pivot to the question Indy has number 10s on the roster right now. Like they brought in Harrison Robledo on loan from MLS. He started basically every game in the preseason and he's played 40 minutes so far in league play. Uh, Jonas Fjeldberg had eight goals for Rio Grande Valley. So he started last season in Indy. Lowry decided he didn't want to play him. He loaned him out to RGV where he tore it up. And then Feldberg comes back. Feldberg has played one game so far this year. I don't know what he did wrong other than just be awesome in Texas. But there are players who can fill the positions of need right now. And the refusal to lean into those guys is kind of baffling to me. Yeah, I just... I don't know. I it's it's really confusing because if you've made your name as something, you want to stick to what you made your name with. But I at some point I'm begging Lowry to change. Just show me you can do something else. Bring in a different player that can play your role. I mean, do you know who would really like uh Schilberg right now? RGV. They would love him right now. Well, wait a minute. Will McVera is way too busy playing his son at striker. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> I respect it. A, a little, listen, a little bit of nepotism has never hurt anybody, right? Never. Not once. <laughs> I mean, that's Move. the motto of F1. <laughs> I mean, uh, to be fair, RTV is one of five teams that are unbeaten right now. I mean, although those are uh, three draws they have. We we don't want to talk about that. And, and a nice <laughs> open cup loss to go along. It again, and I I put this out on Twitter. At what point do you say Omaha and try and uh, and Tormenta beating a team in the Open Cup? It's no longer a cup set. You could tell me that both those teams will go on to win the USL finals or the sorry the US Open Cup finals, 
and I'm not incredibly shocked because they just seem to do it. I, I it's not even a whole the pro rel should happen because they could be anybody. They're just built for the cup, and I don't know why. <laughs> Watch out, St. Louis City. Yeah. <laughs> Soccer capital. <laughs> TM. Which uh, one? Portland, Kansas City, uh, I, hey, St. Louis. I don't want to. Please just don't get us sued. I don't want to be sued. We can't mention that that term on here. Thanks. Um, <laughs> moving on to our predictions. I want to go ahead and start off with where our tactics show started us. And it is Tampa Bay versus Charleston. A rematch already. The USL loves early season rematches. For some ungodly reason, and for some reason, almost all these rematches are matches that you want to see later on the season. Uh, I don't know what's up with that, but Tampa Bay seems to find their footing defensively and put on a real show against the Miami. Granted, uh, we'll talk about Miami in a little bit, but Charleston has done nothing but score. Um, and with one of the probably the most exciting match of the weekend was this Hartford versus Charleston match, and all they do is score goals. So can this revamped defense for Tampa Bay hold Charleston at bay? Or <laughs> it's I didn't mean to do that. I wish I was that clever. Um, or is this still going to be Charleston uh, taking another point, uh, taking another result back to Patriots point? I'm going to start with you, Ryan. Yeah, interestingly, from last season, uh, Charleston was unbeaten against the Rowdies. They had a 1-1 draw down in uh, Tampa Bay and then got a 2-1 win uh, at Patriots Point very late in the season. Um, earlier to start with uh, the Thatchery being unbeaten to begin the year, I've actually picked Charleston to get a win down in Tampa Bay this year, but it's one of those that I'm really just kind of taking a more bet on that Tampa Bay's win last week is still going to go through some growing pains, but I just think Charleston has things a little bit more figured out right now. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I went with a draw here, but like every bone in my body is kind of yelling that the battery are going to win this. I, I just have a belief that the Rowdies at Al Lang, recognize that this is a pretty big game. Uh, I think I talked about it in the tactic show, obviously, but they've really seemed to have figured out the problem that they had of allowing so much space between their lines. Communication, uh, right? Yeah, just, yeah. They, I mean, getting Connor Sparrow back in goal is obviously the biggest thing that's really helped take this team to the next level. With Sparrow and Ned, I think they're probably the favorite to go on and win it all, basically but I will stop being a little bit sarcastic here and just note that uh, the battery are so good about pinching their wingers in, taking advantage and forcing you to turn the ball over. I think they're probably going to get a goal out of that, but I trust Tampa Bay to respond. So draw. Tampa's move to the 4-4-2 makes me want to shove my head through my table. It drives me insane because it doesn't work and they just kept doing it. And, I'm really afraid that after getting a result, they're going to go back to it. <laughs> um, but even so, this Charleston team is so good. They're just so good. I, I, I also lean draw, but again, I refuse to actually pick draws in the predictions. I'm leaning Charleston. Usually I want to go with the home team, but 
Charleston just kind of seems to have the magic right now. Um, it's almost like the team where we, I don't even know if we talk about them should have, you know, paid the man. Um, but they did not. And now he is down at Patriots point and not, they're about to be a force to be reckoned with it. It's ridiculous how good they are. Like Moving Texas, the battery are back. <laughs> um, okay. You know what? We're not going to talk about their match, but I just want to get this off my brain because I am, I feel like I'm going to lose it. Um, if I don't, I thought I put their matches on the predictions. Maybe, maybe Hartford walks out with the result if Richard Sanchez isn't a net. Um, just to validate, when I was going through that uh, lead- leaders of goals saved above average in the USL, I bet you could guess who's dead last in the league. I don't. This is. This I feel like this is their version of nepotism. I know it's not their kid, but he treats them like one. Is he adopted? Like, why do they keep playing him? There's no world where Joe Rice is worse. I, I, I just it's so that match they could have at least walked out with a draw. You can't say that Joe Rice saves every single one of those and they walk out with a clean sheet. Obviously not. Those were some well taken goals, but I mean come on they they could have walked out at least with a point which would have been huge for Hartford but their reliance and just saying we're going to start Sanchez is going to ruin their season I I'm going to go that far and say it's going to ruin their season if they do not get him out of net now they will be missing the playoffs that last second goal he gave up to Arturo Rodriguez on the free kick was tough it's not a good look for him and it's one of the concerns you have with Hartford looking at their next uh, two games is against uh, Oakland and Birmingham away. And that risk uh, just being two games, they don't get a point out of uh, at least one match. You should have at least circled on the calendar is May 6th Hartford versus Memphis, which could be interesting just for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> we'll, we'll certainly circle it. Um, moving on, because I just had to get that one off my chest. Let's go back down south. We're going to go to the other Magic City and talk about the Miami FC as they are taking on Detroit City, a Detroit City team who held out firmly against Louisville City, who simultaneously were trying really hard and didn't look like they cared at the same time. Um, And Detroit City, who held on firmly, but you can't hold on forever, do... Miami break their home curse of refusing to win at home or, you know, does Trevor James's boys go down there and get three points that they really desperately need? I mean, if you're looking back at uh, just all the uh, previous results from Miami, the last game that they won where they scored multiple goals in was a 7-1 victory over a team that's now exited the league in New York Red Bulls to its like we've said this like every preseason and every match that on paper this Miami team should be better than what we're seeing and they still have yet to have a game this year with multiple goals scored. I look at this match very much how Detroit played against El Paso that I think they're going to go into a road match this year and pick up a result and get a win. I lean Miami just because I have absolutely no trust in what Detroit is doing in their attack. I mean, that said, I think basically the same thing about Miami. I just think that they're a little bit more talented. I think they're going to come out realizing that they need to stake their claim. 
pretty early on in the season in terms of the playoff race, just given how things are shaking out and what better way to do it than uh, taking advantage of a Detroit team that seems like they're down bad a little bit. I do think O'Neill Fisher, um, one of the recent additions for Detroit, could be a big deal. They've been slowly integrating him at wing back. He might be one of the solutions that finally gets them some offense, but I don't think it'll be enough on the day. Uh, you know, in kind of going for the match, Detroit moved away from their three-back system and went with this, like, 4-4-2 and into this, like, 4-5-1. And it made little sense. And I know, hey, trust second half Trevor James, but also the second half, that was a horrible decision. It looked like they were still trying to hold on for dear life after they realized that they probably weren't going to score. Um, and I hate it, right? Because I want to believe that Detroit's better than that and that Trevor James would try to go for a win, but he definitely went for the draw. He definitely was just trying to get a result, and it didn't work out against a vastly superior team. That said, where are the goals going to come from for Detroit? I, I don't know, but if you ask me the same thing with Miami – you, you look at the names on the paper and you say, well, obviously it's Kyle Murphy. Obviously it's below. Those are the guys that are going to score, but will they? Will they? I don't think so. I'm taking Detroit City. Lock it, babe. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> I'm ready for them to break my heart. <laughs> Moving on once again, we are going to the rematch. Oh, the rematch. We are heading up to Lynn Family Stadium as Louisville City takes on San Antonio FC. I, I have a little gripe with this. I, I know it's the rematch, but I wish they would have put this in San Antonio. I, I feel like give the champs the rematch at home still, but maybe you say, well, if it was at Louisville, you have that storyline. It's still weird. Um, Louisville is a team that doesn't look – great they look extremely beatable which is not something that you would i think i've ever said about a danny cruz team before but then you look at san antonio and they don't look beatable but they don't look like they're winning games as convincingly as they did before so which team is going to come out on top and if, further question is either team going to look convincing in their result? Yeah, this is a tough one. And uh, Kaylor, to at least uh, provide a little frame of reference, uh, Orange County had won in, uh, uh, yeah, Orange County had won the 2021. And then I think they had their rematch when they played last year. That game was in Tampa Bay, which Tampa Bay ended up getting revenge and got the victory in that one. But as you had mentioned, um, yeah, this is just a really different Louisville team that we've seen. And and they've started the year with their two home games and just scoring one goal at home is just looking back through their kind of span of like three game stretches at home. They don't typically go through this period of not scoring a bunch of goals at which should be their fortress. And it, it, going up against a San Antonio team who could very likely take advantage of any of these laps and errors, I do think San Antonio come out of this match with a result. I think it'll be low scoring, but I do think they eventually get a win and Louisville faces a very tough match against Charleston the following week. 
Yeah, Louisville, when you look at the problems they've had, they've used more players this year than any other team in the league. They've had a different back line, four out of five games, uh, different goalkeepers at times. Finally, this last weekend against Detroit, which is a caveat in and of itself, they had that Dia, uh, Winder, Tosh, Perez backline that you would think of as the first choice. And they pretty much dominated Detroit for 90 minutes. I mean, I, they really deserve to probably win that game 3 nothing, if not more. I think that they're going to have a bit of momentum. Being at home is a big deal. San Antonio is very injured. And despite the fact that they've done well to patch over that, I think it's going to catch up with them at some point. So I think Louisville City is going to win this one. I think Wilson Harris is going to be the guy to do it at the end of the day because it's a big deal to have him in there for Lancaster. Uh, so, yeah, just believing in what Danny Cruz is selling here. Ryan, I hate to do this. I want to ask you to change my pick. <laughs> um, I This match is between two teams that got to know each other pretty well at the end of the season last year. And San Antonio dominated. When you look at how much this team came back, Louisville City is going to want revenge in front of a home crowd that wants revenge. But I also see this, and I believe in sports, man. I, With everything that's going on in Louisville, there's going to be a different energy in the crowd. There's going to be a want to win for more than just your team, for more than your teammates, for more than your fans, there's going to be the the name of the city. It's going to be a win for the city of Louisville, for Louisville City. There's going to be a different kind of motivation going on in this match, and I just believe in sports way too much. This one's going to be Louisville for me. And for the last match... Funny enough, this is a Ford Madison versus Greenville Triumph. Ford Madison, who just lost in the U.S. Open Cup uh, in extra time, 2-3 to Chicago House. Um, and this is a Greenville Triumph uh, team who I put the question out there and I received a lot of flack for it, and I'm going to stand by what I said. This is a team that has not has only one win in the last 12 matches. That's something that you don't see with Greenville. And you can point at injuries, a young team, everything, so on and so forth. But Triumphists are struggling right now. And this is still a Ford Madison team that I stand by, has the best back line in all of League One. And against the Triumph team who have looked really, really shaky on the attack, what do we see here? I mean, they're one of three teams, or these two teams are one of three in the league right now without a win. And uh, like you mentioned, Kate, or I think this Greenville Triumph team is the one in USL one and maybe in USL as a whole that desperately needs a win more than any other club right now. And I don't know. I just i I think there's something more wrong with the Triumph this year that I just can't really select them to take a victory. And I really think Fort Madison, and whether that's motivated from the Open Cup defeat tonight or just trying to start the year off on a better foot, I mean, a victory here for them would take them to as high as third, depending on other results. I think Fort Madison get a win at home. 
Honestly, my gut is telling me that Greenville ought to win this one. I think they've got a lot at stake here, as has been mentioned. I ultimately leaned into a draw. Uh, for or, uh, yeah, Forward Madison didn't go with their best lineup tonight. Um, I think they've pretty much saved about as best as they can the legs of Moro, uh, Sequeiro, and Christian Chaney to really take it to Greenville in attack. And if you saw any of their game against Lexington last week, that pair was really fantastic, creating trouble. Greenville has just lost the magic a little bit. It's going a bit stale. I know a game against Tormenta last week is a really poor barometer because Tormenta is a rocket, but they just were making some really poor mistakes in terms of their defensive rotations. They didn't look as connected as you would expect from a John Harks team. So I could see this one going either way, and I think that informed my draw pick. You know, when I say, when I, when I put out there, we need to ask questions of Harks, right? I... I I realize kind of in con like in context, you sit there and you see that question, you say, he, should he be fired? But I, I didn't really mean it like that in when I sent that tweet out. What I was really thinking here was when do we need to stop, sit there and stop saying, oh, I mean, look, it's Harks, man. It's Harks. You know, he this is just his teams do this, his teams do that. Well, his teams haven't done it in 12 games. I is you just have to ask questions. The same thing we asked about Lowry. Where's the tactical adjustment going to come? And you can sit there and say roster issues, roster issues, roster issues, and those are real. But after 12 games, if you're this level of coach, you figure it out in some way. Or you go to your ownership and say, help me figure it out. Look, give me some money. I need a player. Help me figure it out. And this offseason – Ford Madison went out there and made signings to figure it out. They're a team that was very average to bad for all their years of existence. I mean, the more kits than wins was a joke that existed, and it rang true for a couple of years. I'm taking Ford Madison here. I believe in that attack. I believe in Cheney, and I really believe in that back line who's going to be a problem moving forward for League One. I'm sorry, Gio. So and I think one ahead. of the interesting things with Harks is that he's been at the team since 2019, and it almost becomes a question of how do you continually motivate players year after year with that same system and try to still keep everything fresh and keep everything kind of on the front foot and kind of moving forward that does it become a problem? Oh, oh no. Right here. Yeah. Rip. I thought that was mine. So, uh, oh yeah. I, that was mine. That, Ryan. Uh, yeah. That was mine that had a hiccup. How far did I get into, um, uh, uh something about question. motivating yeah just been there since 2018 having trouble motivating at this point yeah just a question of our things kind of growing stale and it's just kind of concern of how do we kind of refresh the team and like ensure that nothing kind of uh that it just doesn't grow stale you see this as you've mentioned Kayler in the Premier League you asked that question of Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp of okay you've been here for a while how do we make things different this year well, you know, we've been talking a lot about the Premier League. I actually don't watch the Premier League that much. I don't know why I keep referencing it. I just know it's what most people watch because it comes on cable. Um, 
but someone like Pep Guardiola has been very blunt about it. Of sometimes he sells a player just to get rid of them to make the locker room less stale. He said that blatantly. Of yeah, he was our best player. Um, we we liked him a lot. Everybody loved him in the locker room. He wasn't. He was actually one of the best parts of the locker room. Got rid of him because that's what good teams do. Sir Alex Ferguson did the same thing. Of good player, get him out. We don't need him. We can find another good player, and it keeps everybody on their toes. This Greenville team, though, this last year they've sneakily had a lot of rotation. Even though their first three years, five year or four years of existence, they kept pretty much the same starting eleven with a couple of cogs uh, being replaced out of the machine. But this year, it's pretty much a brand new squad with a couple of returning guys, and maybe. Maybe this is where we see the resurgence of a Hark squad of, hey, maybe they can get it on track. Maybe this is the new squad that needs to hear the message for the first time. And a couple of the leaders who can help relay it to, you know, the younger guys in a different way. But right now it's just not working. And to be fair, they even though they didn't start last year with three consecutive uh, defeats, they did start their last season with three games without a win before they got their first result against Chattanooga, and they still ended up in the postseason as the number two seed. So it's still very early in the season, but it, just for confidence sakes, they need to get a result. For sure. Well, any other USL thoughts from any of you guys tonight? All okay. good. Ryan, final thoughts for the night? Yeah, um, I saw the Super Mario Brothers movie uh, last Friday, and I thought it was good for at least what I was expecting kind of to go in there, and uh, I really enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, I had a good time, and I look forward to the Nintendo Cinematic Movie Universe expanding to Super Smash Brothers movie within like a decade. John? Yeah, uh, I usually try to think of something beforehand, and I'm just like mentally void right now. <laughs> um, I saw I saw Mario last week on opening day. Like, you would be surprised at how adult the uh, crowd at that theater was in terms of just like no kids at all, which was somewhat funny. But um, had some family in town last week, which was fun for me. So I guess like go out there, enjoy your family, spend time with the people you really love. That's my advice for the week. Wonderful. I love that. Um, yeah, I so kind of what you're saying with uh I didn't I haven't I have not watched the Mario movie, but you're kind of mentioning that uh you know the lack of um adults or the lack of kids there. I a couple years ago I distinctly remember going into the penguins movie, uh like the penguins of Madagascar movie, and there was not a single child there. <laughs> and it was very bizarre because I was the only adult there or the only like, like everybody else was just adults. And I think everybody else went there to scout it for their kids or like their ne nephews <laughs> and nieces, but there was no kids. I hate that. I liked that movie as much as I did. <laughs> Those are fun, man. I, I'm, in, I'm into that. <laughs> I've heard the D and D movie is pretty good too. Actually, I've, I, yeah, you're getting very good reviews. Yeah, I need to see that. I haven't. There hasn't been like a. I was trying to think. Like there hasn't been like a good action fantasy adventure film since I don't know. The, was it the Hobbit trilogy? If you can consider those I mean, arguably, as good as right. 
I mean, arguably, yeah, I enjoyed it for the spectacle, but like diving down into it, I was like, yeah, I, I don't think this will sweep the Oscars like Return of the King did. Yeah, probably not. Um, Again, normally I have music stuff, but today I actually come in with a TV show for the first time. Um, I've watched season three of Emily in Paris. Um, I hated it. <laughs> I hated yeah, it. Yeah, that's also fair. <laughs> the first two seasons I loved. I, I was all in on the first two seasons because, I, okay, the the side characters were what made it for me. And if you haven't watched it, no spoilers here. I'm not going to give you spoilers. But like, uh, I can't remember the the psych, the black guy. I can't remember. It's not Alfie. It's the other one that works there. I'm blanking on his name now. Um, like he basically did nothing. And Luke, this old like white guy who his entire thing is basically making sex jokes, didn't really make an appearance until the fourth episode. And that's a fourth of, or that's you know a big part of that season. Forty percent of the season. I I hated it. I. I wanted to like it so badly, but just couldn't, just couldn't get into it. Whatever. You win some, you lose some. The first two seasons, great. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, this is my hot take. That's kind of how I felt about um, uh, Stranger Things. I hated this last season. It, it got away from that like, like sci-fi thriller and became like horror, and I hate horror. So I was like, I was all the way out. I've so. not seen a single episode. Of any of it? Of Stranger Things. Same. No, I've, Same. I've never seen really? it. I'm not, I've never subscribed to Netflix, which is, I guess, my weird oh. tick. I've never had a Netflix account. I've just bummed off other people. Like yeah, I guess that. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've, just, I've had Netflix, and I was just like, I keep thinking, I was like, yeah, I, I just... I'm, I just like never get around into like sitting down to watch it. My sister set has watched it and she loves it. It's just, I was like, you know, I'm like way too far behind to like really dive into it. And um, I just can't. I, this is, I guess if we're admitting stuff we haven't seen, I have not seen a single second of Ted Lasso. I, I just don't have Apple Plus and I just yeah, cannot. No one, I, I don't understand how so many people have seen it when, if you ask 99% of people, they don't even know that Apple Plus is a thing. I I, I don't know. I know people it are going like crazy. Those shows you can like really clip and kind of get the gist of it. Like you just post a lot of the episode clips on YouTube and then and it's like, oh yeah, I get where they're going. Yeah, I, I, keep, I keep seeing the believe sign and it just reminds me of Notre Dame and whatever that like cardboard okay. sign is that's essentially a a uh, food police sign that they stuck up there and no one ever took down. Um, Play like uh, a champion today. Oh uh, yeah, that one. Yeah, it's dumb. Also, Rudy was offside. Just need to throw that one out there too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's a, at least a motivational sign. It's not the dumbest thing a college team has, or like as a good luck charm. I mean, Clemson has a rock they took from Death Valley into what is now known as the second most popular college stadium that has Death Valley as the name. The the video, this is so, this is just showing my niche of that I love baseball uh, a lot. There was like this video of uh, UCF's baseball team breaking into Death uh, Clemson's Death Valley just to sprint down the hill 
after they swept Clemson's baseball team, which was awesome. But now they're under uh, allegations because apparently they've been like cheating and modifying their bats this whole time. So everybody's just like, well, <laughs> that was you, you ran down, you broke into a stadium, trespassed, because, and you're cheating. <laughs> Whatever. This is a, this is an awful podcast. Stop listening. <laughs> Any final thoughts? Oh, uh, subscribe to Backhill. Um, just want to throw that out. Yeah, yeah, we just real quick plug. We got a survey of about 15 of the 24 coaches in the USL who had all sorts of quite bad takes about best player, <laughs> best atmosphere. So that was surprising and fun to see. Loudon, are, are we sure that Ryan the biggest Latin fan on the planet did not receive the ballot and just started stuffing that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm excited for people to start watching Loudon games again because they get to hear Loudon guy again. If you haven't watched a Loudon live stream, Loudon guy is awesome. <laughs> Quite loud. And United. <laughs> <laughs> Bless them. Oh, man. All right. Oh, do you have any uh, FM experiments coming out anytime soon, Ryan? Not one USO related, but one uh, at least Tottenham related that was kind of a passion project of mine that should be out sometime uh, before the end of the week. Beautiful. Looking forward to it. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you all for being here. And even though he is not here, he is here in spirit and through your speakers, wherever you're listening to this. Cue us, Alan. Thank you for watching another episode of the USL Show. This and every episode is brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find podcasts and other written work at bgn.fm. Once again, thanks for stopping by, and we'll see you guys again next week. <laughs>